Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This is True Crime Psychology and Personality, where we discuss the pathology behind some of the most horrific crimes and those who committed them from a scientifically informed perspective. I'm Dr. Todd Grande. I have a PhD in counselor education and supervision and I'm a licensed professional counselor of mental health. Dr. Todd Grande, that's my YouTube channel. Today's question is, can I analyze the Tot family murders? So first I'll look at the background in this case. I'll move to the timeline of the alleged crimes. Then I'll offer my analysis. This case involves the Tot family. I'll start with looking at Anthony Tot and then move to the point where he has a family and then that takes us to the alleged crimes. In March of 1980, Anthony Tot was four years old and lived with his family in Ben Salem, Pennsylvania. A person came into their home and shot his mother, Loretta. Anthony witnessed the crime. Anthony's father, Robert, was charged with hiring a student of his to murder his wife. Robert was a teacher. Robert apparently was having a number of extramarital affairs. He was having trouble balancing everything, and for whatever reason, this led to him deciding to commit murder. Robert was convicted, even though Loretta testified on his behalf. He still denies that he was involved. After recovering from being shot, Loretta moved with Anthony from Pennsylvania to Connecticut. She also changed her mind about that whole attempted murder situation. She realized that Robert was guilty. She divorced him and remarried. In Connecticut, Anthony struggled with nightmares about what he had witnessed. He received mental health counseling for many years. His father had been sentenced to 10 to 20 years, but managed to get his sentence reduced on appeal down to 5 to 10. After being released, he started his own consulting company. I'd be curious what type of company that was. How to hire somebody to murder someone else and go to prison. I guess there's a demand for every type of service these days. Robert stayed away from his family for many years, but in 2010, he connected with Anthony on Facebook. The two would meet in person twice that same year. By this time, Anthony was married and had two children. After this, Anthony had decided to cut all ties with his father. This takes us to 2019. So here we see the Tot family has Anthony Tot. He's 44 years old. His wife, Megan, 42 years old. And by this point, they had three children. Alec, who was 13, Tyler, age 11, and Zoe, who was four years old. In recent years, the family had moved to a rental house in Celebration, Florida. Anthony and Megan owned a condominium less than half a mile away. Anthony was traveling back and forth between Florida and Connecticut, attempting to salvage his failing physical therapy practice in Connecticut. On November 21, 2019, Anthony met with federal investigators. He was the focus of a healthcare fraud scheme investigation. Allegedly, he had charged Medicaid and private insurance companies for physical therapy services he never delivered. Investigators said Anthony confessed to his crimes. 
Anthony's sister, who lived in Connecticut, became concerned she didn't hear from any member of the family since either December 23 or December 24. On December 29, 2019, she called the local sheriff's office near where Anthony lived and asked them if they would do a welfare check on her brother and his family. The police conducted a welfare check that same day. No one answered the door, but the police didn't find this suspicious. They left without doing anything. They did not investigate any further at that point. There were a few text messages going out to family members all the way up until January 6 from devices owned by Anthony and Megan. Anthony's phone was recovered in a Starbucks in Sarasota, Florida. It was turned over to the police. An individual who lived near the condominium said that she had texted Megan on January 6 and told her there was an eviction notice on the front door of the condominium. A reply from Megan's phone read, Okay, thanks. Family members and friends repeatedly called the police in Florida, making additional requests for them to check on the family. On January 10, at 5 p.m., two officers drove out to Celebration, Florida, and visited both of the Tot residences, the rental house and the condominium. They found an eviction notice in the mailbox of the rental house and the eviction notice on the door at the condominium. They also found the family's Honda Odyssey parked nearby. On January 11, the police returned and noticed the van had not been moved. As all this was going on, the police were looking for Anthony. They wanted to arrest him for that whole fraud situation. On January 13, he was seen by the police entering the rental house. The police and federal agents moved in. They knocked on the door, but no one answered. As it turns out, the front door was unlocked, so they just walked in. They immediately smelled a strong, foul odor, which they thought might be from a decomposing body. The police encountered Anthony walking down the steps from the second floor of the residence. When asked where his family was, he said that his children might be at a friend's house for a sleepover, and his wife was upstairs sleeping. He then yelled her name, but there was no response. The police went upstairs and found the bodies of a woman and three children on the bed and on the floor. Their bodies were covered with blankets and appeared to have been dead some time. The investigators would later come to believe that Anthony had used antihistamines, two hunting knives, and perhaps suffocation to kill the members of his family. The murders occurred before Christmas. Anthony was charged with four counts of first-degree murder and one count of animal cruelty. The last charge was because he allegedly killed the family dog. After Anthony was placed in custody, we see that he makes a number of unusual statements, including those in a 27-page letter. Some found his assertions hard to believe. Anthony told a relative that he had no recollection of the weeks following the alleged murders. He said that he had always loved, honored, and obeyed his wife through everything. He claimed that there would be a lot of things coming out that he can't talk about right now. He insisted he would protect the dignity of his wife until the very end. He told the police that he tried to take a lethal dose of Benadryl in January, but the investigation found that the dose he took was far from lethal. Investigators reported that he confessed to the murders, but it appears as though he changed his story after that, now telling the police that he wasn't home when his family members died. The story seems to be that his wife killed the children before bringing an end to her own life. He said that she had attempted to commit the murders multiple times before. Anthony said that he was 10,000% innocent. 
if that's any indication of his mathematical abilities, the origin of his financial problems is starting to come into focus. At the time of making this video, Anthony Tott is awaiting trial. Now moving to my analysis. As far as the mental health factors, nothing has been released in relation to Anthony's mental health. The only thing we know is that the state of Florida said they were not pursuing the death penalty due to his mental health. Anthony claimed that his wife, Megan, had depression, but there's no information about her mental health from any credible source. Anthony, of course, has the presumption of innocence, but for the sake of this analysis, I will run under the assumption that he is guilty, which of course is consistent with a confession that was made to the police. One of the theories in this case is that the traumatic experience that Anthony had at age four, when his mother was almost killed, somehow contributed to the development of a personality and attitudes which made Anthony capable of wiping out his family. Perhaps when he saw his father those two times in 2010, this reactivated those memories, legitimized his father's methods for dealing with the conundrum with the affairs, and made homicide seem like an option. This is an interesting theory. Certainly the fact that it's alleged that Anthony committed murders doesn't seem like a coincidence, but I don't know if his trauma has sufficient explanatory value as far as the homicides. Here's what I think could have happened. I don't know what happened. This is just a theory. As Anthony's family grew, he hoped his career would grow as well. He was enjoying some success as a physical therapist in Connecticut. He was well-respected in the community. He viewed himself as pro-social. He wanted a good life for himself and for his family. The problem for Anthony is that he wasn't good with money. He overspent significantly, simply buying whatever he wanted without worrying about paying for it. It's not clear if the spending behavior was woven in with any type of mental health issue, but regardless, Anthony made an unusual decision in order to fund his extravagant spending. He started to take out short-term, high-interest loans. It was reported by investigators that he had more than 20 such loans at the time he was being investigated for the insurance fraud. At some point, the family moved to Florida. Anthony was traveling back and forth to Connecticut. He comes up with this idea of billing insurance companies for services that were never provided in order to make payments on the high-interest loans. Maybe he thinks he won't get caught. Perhaps he believed that if he could just get enough money to pay the loans off, he could get out of trouble. As all this was going on, he doesn't tell his wife about his financial decisions and financial problems. Anthony told the fraud investigators that his wife had no idea what was going on. Anthony is unable to regulate his fraud activity. His crimes become overwhelmingly obvious. One day when investigators had one of Anthony's physical therapy locations under surveillance, no patients entered the entire day for therapy, but Anthony's records indicated he had performed 36 hours of therapy that day. So either he was committing blatant fraud or had a time machine in his office. After being interviewed by investigators about the fraud, Anthony realizes that he will be going to prison. There were indications he might have known that before he was interviewed. For example, he let his physical therapy license expire in September of 2019. While in Florida, he tells family members not to worry if they don't hear from the family for a while. He said they were going on a trip. Anthony takes Benadryl and puts it in some type of food product that his wife and children would normally consume. He was probably hoping it would be sufficient to kill them, 
but he had to resort to using other means to finish with his plan. After this, he stays in the same house with the decomposing bodies for three weeks. It's not really clear if he was going to make any type of effort to escape. It was like he didn't have a plan to cover anything after committing homicide. When the police make entry into the residence, he comes up with an obvious lie that was surely not going to stall them for long. When he was in custody, he confessed, but then changed his mind later. It's like this half-hearted attempt to escape responsibility. He does not have a cohesive strategy. Eventually, he comes up with this idea to blame everything that happened on his wife, Megan, while trying to make it seem like he's the hero for protecting her. He claimed that Megan prevented him from seeking health care and from telling people about his financial problems. He was forced to move away and not allowed to talk to family or friends. He was trying to take care of her, but she was depressed and had other problems. He pretends that she committed the murders, but admits that he's the one who moved the bodies into the bedroom and placed them into sleeping positions he thought would be warm and protected. In addition, Anthony blames the media and the police. I think the motive for the murders, again assuming that Anthony is guilty, is that he didn't want to face his own failures. He didn't want his wife and children to see him go to prison. He wanted their last image of him to be positive. After this, Anthony decides to try to play the hero to the public, like he was a devoted husband who tried to care for his ailing wife. He was so loyal that even after she committed these terrible crimes, he would protect her memory. He will sacrifice himself to preserve her perfect image. It's a ridiculous premise, but I don't know if he had any other cards to play in order to protect his ego. He was running out of options. He was running out of excuses that could make him look good in any way. This is one of those cases where the victims had no good way to figure out what was going on or to defend themselves even if they did. Megan would have had the best chance of everybody in executing some type of escape or contacting the authorities, but she may not have known anything was going on. She probably thought that Anthony had everything under control financially, and of course, she most likely assumed he was not homicidal. I think one lesson learned in a case like this is that serious crimes often start with less serious crises, like financial problems. Sometimes when people can't cope with the shame of their crimes, they turn to the unusual solution of wiping out the people who are watching them. They believe that they won't experience shame if there's no one left to be ashamed of them. This has been True Crime Psychology and Personality from Ars Longa Media. This content is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Ars Longa Vita Brevis. From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule. History so interesting, it's criminal.